all battles, all battles, those fought in the streets and on the battlefields, all battles begin inside. This is the lesson that we learn from the temptation of Jesus, that all our battles begin with the battle for our hearts and minds. Did you know that this Greek word, this Greek root word for the word to tempt is similar or the same as, I should say, the root for the Greek word to pierce? We begin the first Sunday of Lent with the temptation of Jesus and we are building to Good Friday where Jesus is pierced. And we need to see these things in connection and in continuity with each other. Because the temptation of Jesus and the piercing of Jesus were all done for our sake. For our sake. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Into the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where there are no distractions. There's nothing to pull us away from what we are seeking to attend to. There's no to-do list. There's no people to host. There's no entertainment. There's nothing but you and yourself in the wilderness. This is why the ancient monks of the Egyptian desert would go into the desert to go do battle intentionally with demons, to do battle with their own inner spirit. Hardest battle any of us will ever fight is the battle against ourselves. But Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit precisely because he did this for us on our behalf. Because this is a reliving of the story of Israel. It's a reliving of our story, the story of humanity. We see this in the clue that's given to us that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, we've heard that refrain before, haven't we? The story of Noah reigned for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites were in the wilderness themselves 40 years. And the point of the 40 is not the literal sense that matters, it's the symbolic sense of for a long period of time. And because that number 40 resounds and echoes through the scriptures, it signifies that Jesus is doing something important. The fact that it's quote-unquote 40 days or 40 nights is not mere happenstance. It's important. It bears symbolic weight. If 40 days and 40 nights, he is reliving that story of Israel, where Israel itself was wandering in the wilderness after being liberated from Exodus, they have to learn what it means to be the people of God. And so that meant wandering in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness to relive that story because we know from the scriptures that Israel doesn't really get it right, do they? Time and time again, they fail. They say yes where they should say no. They say no where they should say yes. But Jesus comes and he says no, where we often say yes. Think of the first temptation of Adam and Eve. They were tempted with the fruit of the tree. It was good-looking fruit. It promised to give them more than just physical sustenance. It promised to give them eternal life on their own terms, better yet. Did God really say 
Well, that's open for interpretation and debate. It's just like the devil to work that way, right? The father of lies doesn't work with a big lie. He works with those small, insidious lies that sound so close to the truth that they must be true. Did God really say? That seed of doubt is planted right away. And once that seed of doubt takes hold, it's easy for us to question and to say, well, yeah, maybe God didn't mean what he said. Maybe God just doesn't really have our best interest in mind. So I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and go my own way. And this is why that first temptation to eat harkens back to that story of, guard, of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I love this little detail. Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. That's a bit of an understatement. Anyone who's done any kind of fasting, whether for spiritual or for physical reasons, I know intermittent fasting is a, is a big thing, it seems that when you do those things, you actually get hungrier because you know you're not supposed to eat. So this is a big understatement. Jesus has been out there, and he is hungry. So this is an easy temptation. Just have some bread. I know you can do this. I know you can make these stones. And if you've been in the Holy Land, you know the wilderness. There's stones everywhere that look like shapes of bread or loaves of bread. That's an easy temptation. Just, just you can do it. It's okay. I'm not going to tell anyone. Just make it bread. And that's symbolic of that first temptation, the temptation to focus solely on our bodies, as if all we are is skin and bones, that, that there's nothing more to us than this sack of flesh. But Jesus' response reminds us that we are more than just mere bodies. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Being physically sated is a good thing. We need food and drink to live, to survive. But life is more than mere survival. Life is about listening and receiving every word that comes from the mouth of God to receive it for our spiritual sustenance. Because we are ensouled creatures, souls and bodies. And I know that sounds very out of touch in this very scientific, naturalistic age. But we know in our heart of hearts that we are more than just mere flesh. Because our experiences of love, of justice, of beauty, of goodness, tell us that there must be more to our lives than just physical life. And so where Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation to live by fruit alone, Jesus says and reminds us that we are more than just our appetites. And that our appetites will never be fully sated unless we are feeding also on the gifts of God. Remember, you've seen when maybe when you were a kid or you've had your kids play with those, uh, like the shape sorters, right? Where they put the shape in and the circle cannot go in the square and the square can't go in the triangle. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. We try to force things into that God-shaped hole that God alone can fill. And often we try to do it with trying to satisfy our bodily urges. And they're not bad urges. Being hungry, needing sleep, being thirsty, other bodily urges. Those are all part of what it means to be human. They're not bad. But if we focus solely on them, we're missing the bigger picture. So Jesus resists that temptation to reduce all we are to bodies. And so the devil says, okay, 
I'm not going to get them on the basic level of humanity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the ante a little bit. I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm going to take them to Jerusalem and put them on the pinnacle of the temple. Jerusalem is the seat of all political, cultural, and religious power of that day and time. And the pinnacle of the temple would be the high point because remember, the temple is seen as the earthly dwelling place of God. It's the place where God resides on earth in like most concentrated form. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And we've all seen Indiana Jones, so we can know what it looks like. But the temple is the place. It's the throne of God. And so the devil says, again, repeating that refrain of trying to see, sow those seeds of doubt, if you are the son of God, as in, maybe, maybe you don't really believe that's the case. Throw yourself down. Prove it. Prove you're the son of God. And here's where the devil gets really clever. He quotes the Bible. And let's not forget that the, Bible, the devil himself is a scripture scholar of sorts. He quotes from the psalm that we just read before the gospel. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you do not fat, dash your foot against the stone. So the devil's saying, if you are the son of God, I know you are. You know you are. But maybe there's a little bit of self-doubt. So let's just prove this once and for all. Just throw yourself on the temple because God is not going to let his son splat on the ground and fall to an untimely and unseemly death. Just do it. You know it'll be okay. I know it'll be okay. And Jesus cuts him to the quick. Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Here we see the temptation to test God. And that's really what temptation is, is a testing of God. Temptation itself is not sin. How could it be? Because Jesus is without sin and he is tempted just as we are. Sin is where when Jesus says no, we say yes. That's where we fall from temptation into sin. But the temptation here is to challenge God in a way that tests God. And it says, God, are you really going to uphold everything you said? Is your word really true? Is it trustworthy? Can we really believe it and hold on to it? And again, this is where the devil gets tricky. He uses the scriptures against Jesus. He's like, Jesus just tried this with me before. So I'm going to throw it back in his face and see if that works. And the other thing, oh, sorry, no, that's, and then Jesus uses scriptures and says, no, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test the Lord. Again, the now, so we're, the devil's going to up the ante again. He took him to a very high mountain. So we had the, the earthly, kind of the human instinct. We had the elevated instinct for religious and cultural power. And now to the very high mountain highest he could go. And the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and all their splendor. And the devil says to Jesus, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Do you catch that? You can't give something that's not yours. The devil owns the kingdoms of the world. That shouldn't surprise us. Maybe as citizens of our particular nation, maybe that makes us a little uneasy. But the devil, they're there is to give. That shouldn't surprise us with what's going on in the world, should it? The devil uses the kingdoms of the world as his playthings, as his way to have fun and mess with things. 
You ever see The Devil's Advocate with uh, Al Pacino? I mean, Al Pacino plays the devil. He overdoes it in only the way Al Pacino can do it. But there's some really great lines in there about how the devil just does this stuff just to mess with people. His pleasure comes in destruction and in just the sheer delight in watching things explode. But Paul reminds us that our battle is not against principalities and powers, but our flesh, or not against flesh and blood, that our battles against the principalities and powers of this age. And that's why even though wars are fought on the outside, they always begin with a problem inside. And so Satan says, I will give all of these to you. You can have them now, the kingdom and the power and the glory of earth, all of it. All you have to do is bow the knee and it's yours. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Jesus thinks maybe, oh, no one's going to know. And then that will spare me all the suffering I'm about to end to. So this seems like a really good trade. I can have everything I've got to accomplish here. And all I have to do is bend the knee and it's mine and I can... Not, I can avoid my suffering and my crucifixion. But Jesus says, Away with you, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here we see the power, I mean, here we see the temptation is the desire to replace and replace God with myself. And that's fundamentally what all temptation boils down to, going back to that story of garden, the Garden of Eden. Eden where Adam and Eve seek to replace the word of God with their own will and their own desire. We know the story of Satan, why he is thrown out of heaven, is because he refuses to serve. He wants to be served, but he refuses to serve. But Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. My kingdom come, i sorry, thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. It's very easy for us to build up our own kingdoms of desire, of focusing solely on earthly goods, of focusing on acquiring power and fame and glory. But Jesus does not leave us powerless. Jesus does not leave us without hope. Because the devil left him. But a better way to say here is the devil fleed from him. Jesus, by saying no, has shown his power over Satan and his minions. So it's not that the devil just said, okay, until next time. The devil got out of Dodge as fast as he could because he knew he had no power there. And so Jesus did this on our behalf, and because he did it, our, his power becomes ours. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to fall into temptation. We all will. But when we are tempted, we have weapons at our disposal. Think of the words of the Lord's Prayer. Give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily sustenance, both physical and spiritual, that comes through word and sacrament. And the ending, for thine is the power, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Everything that Satan tempted him already belongs to God, ultimately and finally. All the earthly power and glory that we can have, it pales in comparison to the, earth, the heavenly glory of God. And so we are heirs of this kingdom. Precisely because Jesus on our behalf was able to resist the devil and has power over him. 
So we enter into this Lenten time to reorder ourselves, our lives, our loves, our focuses, and to get them back into sync with what God's will for us is. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. So let us take this time to fill that God-shaped hole in our lives with God and stop trying to fill it with everything else that's not going to fit. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For this is what Jesus does for us when we rely on his power to help us overcome our temptations in life. And when we fall, and we most certainly will, we have an advocate and mediator who knows our weaknesses and our frailties, and he forgives us and extends us his mercy. All we have to do is ask and receive. Thanks be to God. Amen.